Hi, this is Chris Foreman from Madness, and you're listening to the Stateside Madness podcast. And welcome to the Stateside Madness Podcast, the one and only podcast of the official Madness American fan service. I'm Lori, along with my co-host Polly, here to bring you news, reviews, and deep dives into the nutty sound of the British pop band Madness. Stateside Madness for our Madstock episode going to be released on the evening before Easter. So put down your Suggs shaped peeps and your hollow chocolate Tomo. It's time for the Stateside Madness podcast. So, um, yeah, welcome back. This is the Stateside Madness podcast. Uh, I'm Lori. And I'm Polly. And we're excited about this episode because we get to talk about Madstock, which was a really pivotal moment, I guess you could say, in the history of the band. Uh, but before we go into that, I want to say thank you again to Hector Walker. Uh, he allowed us to interview him two weeks ago, very generous with his time, he had some great stories to tell. Uh, that was actually, I think, probably our second most popular episode to date second only to the Chris Foreman episode. So um, thank you to both gentlemen. Uh, we really appreciate it. We love hearing these stories that you know happen in, in the early days of the band, especially. Um, how are you doing, Polly? I'm doing great. It's a beautiful sunny day and signs of spring are showing up um, and you know signs of this, this uh, horrible malaise we've been under for a year plus uh you know things turning around i'm hopeful and happy i i hear that w there may be an announcement coming up this week regarding the american tour dates right so we're going to listen for that when it happens yeah um well you know there's not not a lot a lot of mystery um it doesn't appear that uh the tour is going to be um on uh folks who have noticed Boston canceled, um, punk rock bowling, uh, the band stepping out of that. You know, it's it's not that much of a surprise, but what we really, really do want to know is uh, what the dates are going to be and when. So I think that news will be forthcoming. 
very soon. Yeah, so there was already an announcement that the Boston date has been rescheduled yet again for June of 2022. I feel bad because I posted that to the Stateside Madness Facebook page, not noticing that it was April 1st. And I think some people thought that was an April Fool's prank. It was not an April Fool's prank. Uh, the, the Boston date they have announced will be rescheduled. And so now we're waiting to hear what's going to happen with the rest of the dates. But it does seem very likely if they're going to reschedule Boston, they're probably going to reschedule that entire spring American tour. That would be our guess, right? They are not going to make multiple trips back and forth across the Atlantic. They're going to do everything in one shot. Yeah. So, yeah. All right. Well, we'll keep our listeners updated when we hear from more about that. And fingers crossed that they might actually add a new date or two, maybe. Fingers crossed. We can hope. All right. So, Chris, what time is it? Showtime. Buster, he sold the heat with a rock steady beat. But not in Orange Street A ghost and she's preparing You got to help us with your feet If you're not in the mood to dance Step back, grab yourself a seat This may not be uptown Jamaica But we promise you a treat Don't pass it on me over with your fungus dance Shuffle me up on my feet Even if I kept on running I'd never get to Orange Street No, there's nothing left to say the man who set the beat So I leave it up to you out there To get him back on his feet Yeah Madstock took place in 1992, but the seeds were planted a little bit earlier. So to bring everybody up to speed, what's been going on at this point? So 85, 86, that's when the band broke up. Mike Barson was the first to leave. 86, they released the one-off single, Waiting for the Ghost Train, which was kind of their goodbye. And they fully expected that this was going to be it. They all went their separate ways. Uh, Mike was living the good life in Holland. Lee was running a bicycle shop. Woody took up with uh, Voice of the Beehive, had a few other projects on the side. Betters went back to college to become a graphic designer. Um, everybody had their own, uh, they, they basically they, they scattered to the winds at this point. And there was really no intention of them ever getting back together. Okay, so flash forward to 1991, uh, Virgin Records at that point uh, had ownership of Madison's back catalog. And they were interested in doing a best of compilation. Uh, they reached out to Chaz Smash, who uh, at that point had been an executive at Go Discs. And, um, you know, they started talking, preparing what was going to be the Divine Madness compilation. Chaz was pretty active in that, um, in his capacity at Go Discs. He became involved in the promotion, you know, TV uh, appearances, TV promotions, cover artwork. And, and part of this was being in contact with different members of the band. So he was sort of the linchpin in all of this stuff happening, and at least in terms of, um, you know, getting the band talking with each other. Um, he was the center of that solar system. So 
we owe a bit of this to Chaz. Yeah, and, and so he was really very much, you know, in communication with all seven members of the band as they're trying to put together this Divine Madness compilation. And uh, somehow he gets this idea in the back of his mind, you know, let's get the band back together, right? Uh, the, I, I guess the, the, the turning point was when Carl actually managed to convince Mike Barson because, you know, Mike being not only one of the founding members, but also he was really kind of the linchpin of the whole thing. So he was off in Holland, you know, living the good life. And um, when Carl finally convinced Mike to maybe think about coming back, uh, that I think was, was the, the first domino. You know what I mean? That, that all the other dominoes kind of started to fall into place at that point. In 92, Divine Madness, the release was a success. Now, it wasn't released here in the U.S. It was a, a British compilation. It was one of many, many compilation CDs that the band has released. And it really, it started off as a record company cash-in, let's face it, right? But it turned into something more, you know? So as I mentioned, Mike was a little reluctant at first. Chris had just gotten married to his second wife. He was settling down. He was a little re reluctant, you know, betters graphic design career. So there were, there were, there was some reluctance on the, the part of a number of members of the band. Now, not all members of the band, as I understand it, some of the members were maybe having a little bit of financial problems and, and this would have been a good thing for them. But uh, Carl started speaking to a guy named Vince Power. He was a, a promoter. And they talked about doing a reunion show. And there was apparently at, uh, um, I think it was at a pub somewhere on St. Patrick's Day in 1992, Vince Power presented a proposal to the seven members of the band about doing a reunion show. And as part of this agreement, uh, Carl's label Go Discs would have all the rights to the live audio and to the video recordings and to the documentary footage of the show. And that was it. That was that that St. Patty's Day uh, proposal is is ultimately, I think, what led to this this concert called Madstock. It's one of my favorite topics. Nothing I have to do 
the original show was supposed to be Saturday, August 8th in Finsbury Park. And they added a second show. Uh, I think I, I read somewhere that it was like between the two shows, they sold something like 70,000 tickets. And the band had begun rehearsing in England for a week, beginning July 21st of 92. So they all got together. They started rehearsing, getting ready for this. So they basically an intensive week. We're going to rehearse. We're going to get back together. We're going to, you know, try and try and find our, our, our mojo again. And then they traveled to Holland August 1st for what they considered a dry run for this, uh, for, for this festival. And they were performing at a small club at the Hague and Tomo went missing in action. They couldn't find him anywhere. Apparently he was stoned out of his mind on some of the local herb and they found him on a beach somewhere. And uh, I guess he had been with a bunch of teenagers on the beach who were bouncing on trampolines and if you've ever seen the CD cover for the Madstock uh, CD, that was the inspiration for the cover because you can see the guys are midair. They had been jumping on trampolines. I thought that was interesting. So in um, preparing for the Madstock show, Madness was keen on it not being just like a celebration of uh, their long gone um, you know, days past. Uh, they didn't really want to see it as like a, a two-tone show. Um, and so they you know, rounded out the bill with some newer bands, uh, up and coming bands, some established bands. And so they had Gallon Drunk, uh, not a band I'm super, super familiar with, uh, flowered up both bands that were kind of around at the beginning of the 90s kind of just getting their footing uh, you know kind of part of all of that new alternative wave and then he had Morrissey and Enduri and the Blockheads which was really really nice to see that they were doing a show with Enduri um, it's something that happens in England a great deal more than in the United States where bands uh, curate their own festivals. Um, and I think uh, bringing Ian Dury along was part of that, paying homage to his importance to them. Uh, Morrissey did a similar thing uh, when he was able to curate a festival and he brought along the New York Dolls, which um, I think was fantastic. Um, and I wish that festivals in the United States had a little bit more of that ethic to them. So. Hopefully somebody does that here. I 
So Ian Dury, as you mentioned, that's a really good choice because he was so influential on the band and the band's early sound. And as a matter of fact, Polly, you and I are going to be doing an episode about Ian Dury in a few weeks' time. I don't envy those opening bands at all because crowds can really be very, very hostile. When you have paid your money and you're here to see madness, and then who are these other guys, right? Who, who gallon, gallon drunk, flowered up? You mentioned that you know, you know them. I don't, um, and I imagine that there was some hostility there. But the person that was on the receiving end of of most of that hostility was Morrissey. So um, again, this was a two day festival. Originally, it was supposed to be Saturday, August eighth. They added a second day which was August 9th. And on that Saturday show, the crowd just got so hostile when Morrissey was playing. They were throwing coins at him. They were throwing bottles at him. Um, they were just a very, very angry crowd. Now, why th th this hostility happened, it depends who you speak to. So there was some controversy. When Morrissey appeared on Saturday, he had wrapped himself up in a, a Union, Union Jack flag. And the backdrop of the stage had some pictures of some skinheads. And so there was some controversy here. You know, was he, was he courting the national front? Was he courting racism? You know, that kind of thing. Of course, if you know anything about Morrissey, you know he loves to push buttons. So how much of that was legit and how much of that was just him trying to get a rise out of people, we don't know. So was that the reason that, that people were, were angry and were throwing bottles at him? Maybe. Or maybe it was just that they were Madness fans and there really is not a whole heck of a lot of overlap between the Madness crowd and the Morrissey crowd. You know, I mean, to me, they're two very different genres of band. And uh, I suspect, I wasn't there, but I suspect that a lot of that hostility was just, dude, we wanna see Madness, get the heck off the stage. And Morrissey, as, as you probably know, Polly, will never miss an opportunity to cancel a show then decided that he was not going to appear on Sunday, which in itself is a little bit ironic because originally he was supposed to appear on Sunday and all the Morrissey fans were buying the tickets for the Sunday show. So that would have been his crowd. That's the thing that just doesn't make sense. But you know, every time I've bought tickets to a Morrissey show, the show has been canceled. It's kind of like a running joke over here. At night, I'm black and blooded from my life. I haven't time to clean my hands. Cuts will only sting me through my room. It's well past midnight as I lie in a semi-conscious state. I dream of people fighting me without any reason I can see. I do think it's important to kind of talk about what else is going on in the world at this point. 
here in the United States, I was completely unaware that this concert was taking place. Now, keep in mind, 1992, this was pre-internet. So we didn't get a lot of news of our favorite bands when they were overseas, unless something was reported on like MTV or something, you know? So this was completely not on my radar. I had absolutely no idea whatsoever that, that this reunion was taking place. I found out about it maybe 20 years later, literally. I mean, that, that's how slow I was in finding this out. But 1992, there was quite a bit going on. So we had the Olympics in Barcelona, and uh, that was the, the USA Dream Team in basketball took the gold. So that really kind of dominated a lot of the headlines here. And then there was also the, uh, the war in the former Yugoslavia, which was really starting to elicit some controversy. Uh, George W. Bush was the president. And at that time, the United States had not gotten involved, right? There was the, some, some atrocities that were um, taking place. There were calls from the rest of the world for the United States to step in and get involved. And so a lot of what was going on that summer is would we or wouldn't we, you know, would we send troops over to, to Bosnia and, and Serbia? So that really was dominating the news. So I don't know about you, Polly, you maybe were a little bit more in the loop than I was in 92 with this stuff. No, in, in 1992, I was wrapping up my tour in the Navy and oh. not aware greatly of um, what else was happening in the outside world. Okay, so uh, it would be important uh, for a podcast where you're not sitting down and watching the DVD or listening to the CD um, to point out a few highlights of the show. Um, and one uh, would be at the very, very beginning. Um, lights start to come up, the band walks out on stage, uh, and they stand there. Uh, not exactly what you're used to seeing at the start of a concert. Generally, that is the band's moment to really hype the crowd. Um, and then of course, just kick off into their first song. But the band walks out, they line up in a row, they face the crowd and they are standing there. You know, there's a bit of a speculation about why they might consider doing that. It just happened, it was kismet. They just all managed to do just about the same thing. And just kind of soak in the moment, I guess. The, when I saw that, though, on that DVD, when they are just standing at the front of the stage and just 
you know, the lights are, 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 are off. I just get the chills. I mean, the hair on my arm stands on end. You can feel the electricity. God, I can't even imagine that had to be so cool being in the audience and seeing that moment, you know? Yeah, I guess so. I, I, I missed the poignancy of it a little bit because I was just kind of like, I was expecting the normal um, entrance for a band where there's a roadie with a flashlight and walking them to their spot and getting their guitar for them and that whole thing. So I, I was actually confused. I, I was kind of going like, what's wrong? <laughs> Why are they doing that? Yeah, and, and, you know, and, and you got Suggs who kind of looks like a, like a rogue CIA agent with his, you know, his trench coat and his hat and uh, Woody with his ponytail, your very favorite. We know you love Woody's ponytail. Yeah, we'll get back to that. Yeah. And, and, and yeah, okay. Are we, we going to discuss, <laughs> are we, are we going to get back to that today? Okay. Or no? well, well, okay. So <clears throat> Stateside Madness fans, um, just, you know. I don't want to overpromise anything, especially since it's interesting to me and maybe not to everybody else. But uh, I have a bit of an obsession with some of the band's uh, bandmates' hair. And seeing Woody with a ponytail was a bit shocking to me. Uh, it seemed out of place. Certainly did not fit with the two-tone vibe. But as we said before, this wasn't necessarily a two-tone movement moment. Um, and then of course there's there's Chris. I, I I opine a bit about Chris's hair from time to time, but that's for another episode. And maybe you never know; it'll appear on our Facebook page or maybe our website. But more great things about the band's hair to come. time in what six years that these guys had performed together and from some of the interviews I've watched it was a very very emotional moment for for the band members as well I think Woody said when they started you know started up with one step beyond that first song he said he practically had tears in his eyes and they just kind of felt it felt right right they fell into this groove again and realize that you know hey this is this is i guess what we're meant to be doing right yeah and um think about the timing uh the band then so they're probably all ranging in age from 30 to 35 and having been a young man in my 20s a young man in my late teens Getting together with six other guys and trying to make anything harmonious and anything work is just not that feasible. And um, everybody has a strong personality. You're bound to not get along. 
but you give it a couple of years and you realize how foolish you could have been, how you could have been kinder and uh, you grow up a little bit and you pretty soon, I think you're thinking, I wish I would have, I wish I wouldn't have hung up on that. So it would make sense that as they have children growing up, if it's, they have bills piling up, um, you just got start to put things in perspective and you can say, yeah, I could get along with those other guys a lot better. <laughs> it would totally be worth it. So it, it would make sense to me that they had a lot of riding on it emotionally, professionally, uh, personally. So yeah, it makes sense that they could, they could make it work. Well, and they, they've been together in some way, shape or form since what, 78? Now well, there's that, you know, six year hiatus there, but that is still, that's, that's longer than many marriages. And I understand being married to one guy for that period of time is, is difficult, but being married to six, you know, I mean, and that's really what it is. It really is, you know, where you have to, you know, communicate and you have to compromise. And like you said, you know, there's, there's tensions that are going to going to erupt, but you know, you, you learn to work through them, right. For the greater good, for the good of the, the relationship or for the good of the band. I would think too that um, you know you've, you've you've heard so many times that people talk about the intoxicating you know effect of of knowing that you've got fans uh, fan appreciation and stuff like that. Guess what? No band, no fan appreciation, at least for the most part. So um, you know, I'm sure they missed a great deal of that too. Oh, absolutely. And you can really tell too. You can really tell that the boys are, are are feeling the love and the energy from the crowd when you watch this 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 DVD footage. Um, so of course they recreated Lee flying through the air for baggy trousers, you know. And now it's a, it, I think it's a staple at a lot of shows. Later on, when they performed at uh, Buckingham Palace for the Queen's Jubilee, was it the Queen's Jubilee? It, it was. was. Yeah, and then he they recreated that with him him again flying through the air, you know, and, and I think they did it at, when they performed at the Olympics in 2012. So that's like now one of their signatures is Lee, you know, getting up uh, getting up on, on wires and doing the sax solo for Baggy Trousers. Yeah, it's definitely a trademark of them uh, from such humble beginnings being a sort of one-off, poorly executed gag for a video. Uh, um, yeah, it sticks in people's minds. It's It's what they want to see. Who the teachers in the pub? 
And of course, another great highlight would have been the surprise guest appearance by Prince Buster. Not really the mentor to the band, but their inspiration, why they started the band kind of in the first place. So he joined Madness for the song he wrote, Madness, uh, as the encore on Saturday. And for two songs, uh, Madness being one of them again, and One Step Beyond, of course, which he also penned for the encore on Sunday. And that must have been a fantastic thing to see. Did not make the final cut on the DVD. Or on the CD. That would, yeah, that would just be amazing to hear, I think. there's got, I'm sure if we look, I bet we can find footage of it on YouTube. There's got to be. Somebody out there recorded it. They had to I, have. I'm, I'm sure. Yeah, it probably yeah. does exist. That's right. That's right. That's right. interesting aftermath to the show this is actually kind of legendary the british geological survey was receiving phone calls people were reporting to the police that they thought there was an earthquake taking place so the police called the british geological survey and it measured 4.1 on the richter scale and one of the geologists actually said, well, I think this might be related to the Madness concert. And of course, everybody else says, no, no, no way. But then the next day, August 9th, Madstock again, and there's another earthquake that, you know, again, very comparable, uh, you know, 4.1 or 4.2 on the Richter scale. So I'm just picturing 33,000 fans jumping up and down to like one step beyond and shaking the ground so much, apparently there were buildings that were being evacuated because they literally thought that there was an earthquake taking place. That just blows my mind, the kind of power and energy that this dancing crowd must have had to measure on the Richter scale. No, that is no doubt impressive. Um, makes you wonder why it's not happening a great deal more often, but uh, yeah. I mean, I don't know any other bands that can uh, credit themselves for having started an earthquake. And when Lee penned those lines, an earthquake is erupting, right? Uh, that was uh, prescient, I guess, is the word I'm looking for. It's really uh, it's I, appropriate. I, I suppose so, yes. But coincidentally, also, um, the, that line from The Prince was uh, sort of name dropping Prince Buster song. So that was a reference as well uh, to the earthquake song by Prince Buster. So it came full circle, didn't it? There we go. Yeah. Circle of life. There you go. <laughs>
mentioned previously, uh, Carl was an executive on Go Discs, and part of the contract, I guess, for the show, Go Discs had the right to release both the audio and the video recordings of the show. So the album Madstock was released in November 1992 on Go Discs in Britain. It peaked at number 22 on the British album charts. Now, interestingly enough, the album does not contain all of the tracks that were actually performed in the show i think so the songs that did not make the cd release razorblade alley tomorrow's just another day take it or leave it swan lake and rocking in a flat so those songs were in the dvd but they were not on the cd hmm. you know what it is i've got the um i don't have the go discs uh release i've got the oh. later one I think so. They may have thrown a few more back on there. So uh, The Harder They Come was released as a single in the UK and it went to number 44 on the charts over there. So The Harder They Come, that's a Jimmy Cliff cover, that isn't is it? That is Jimmy Cliff, yeah. Of course, made famous by the movie, uh, which is, I love that movie. Um, there's a lot of reasons why it shouldn't be good, but I would suggest everybody, after shutting off our podcast, Please go watch that movie. It's fantastic. And I love Jimmy Cliff. And what a great song. You know, number 44 is really nothing to sniff at. Neither is number 22 for um, a live album making, uh, charting at number 22. Uh, live albums don't tend to produce the same uh, chart-topping abilities as regular album releases. Uh, the the not-so-diehard fans drop off pretty quickly when it comes to um concert recordings uh people just really want to have the versions of the singles that they hear on the radio so number 22 no small feat that's a really good uh charting for a live album and again that was over in the uk that was not not over here in the states i don't think that ever registered here on the states the dvd of the show was included in the four disc box set, A Guided Tour of Madness that was released in 2011. And that was one of the ones that was instrumental in me rediscovering the band right around that time. So uh, it's an import, we, it's not, it wasn't released here in the States as you know, I, I feel like I almost need a little recording, was not released here in the States and I can just keep <laughs> reinserting it in the podcast, right? But I really recommend anybody who who's, as you're listening to this podcast, you're starting to think, oh, I kind of I, I kind of like some of the stuff that I'm hearing here. That is a really good starting place. If you could get that that four disc, a guided tour of madness. It's got three CDs, but it also has the DVD of the Madstock 92. And it is definitely worth worth listening to and watching. Jack you all. I built it to myself. From a from 
All right, so what happens after that? Well, after that, the band is back and they do the normal sort of band things uh, with one sort of exception. Um, so they continue to tour. Uh, they continue to do uh, more Mad Stocks. You know, they give it a couple of years. They come back in 94 and then 96 and then 98. And that's um, sort of it. They, they do, a, do it again in 2009 uh, to celebrate the band's 30th anniversary. But, um, you know, they, they exist still as a band from that point on. Um, the 1998 show is released at one point as a DVD in its own right. And, you know, they, they continue on, but they actually don't put out new music, not for a while anyways. Uh, it's not until 1999 that they come up with something new for fans. And I think that there was actually some pressure from the record company. I think uh, not just Virgin, but I think other companies as well, other labels, what really wanted to sign them to bring them on to do new music and they were really very much resistant to that i think i'm not sure you know because i don't know what was going on in the minds of the band but i really kind of think that they they saw all of this okay you know we'll, we'll do a little bit here a little bit there yeah we'll do you know we'll do mad stock in 94 and 96 you know we'll go do this show over in glasgow you know, or, or we'll do this show in, in Amsterdam or whatever, just, you know, little one-offs here and there, almost like as a novelty thing, but I don't think they really, maybe they just weren't ready. You know, maybe maybe something needed to, to, to happen that they all feel comfortable getting back into the studio and recording again. But Madstock 92 was significant because that really is what brought the band back together. If not for that show, I don't think that we would know who uh, most of these gentlemen were. I mean, maybe, you know, we'd speak of them, you know, in the past tense, you know, but, oh, I wonder where they are now. Whereas we're having a different discussion now because we know where they are. Yeah, or we could be having the discussion that... Um fans of different bands have these days, which is, uh, yeah, the band was, turns out it was uh, just the bass player and a bunch of new people these yeah. days. So that, that didn't really happen, at least not in full to Madness. Uh, there was a time when Chris wasn't touring, um, but for the most part, you know, these, um, it was the seven core members, um, six now. But uh, so we were fortunate in that respect too that um, in 1992, they did all come back. And um, I think it's something greatly, greatly missing when um, it's, yeah, when it's one guy and a bunch of replacement people. So that's probably what I'm most thankful for.
right. Well, so we had actually asked a few of our Stateside Madness uh, group members, because I know some of them were at Madstock, and we wanted to get some of them to maybe come on and share their experiences. But Polly, literally every person I spoke to, except for one, claimed they were so drunk they didn't remember a thing. I, I gotta, I gotta admit, uh, that does have a tendency to happen at Madness shows. So yeah, no harm, no foul. They had fun. So, Polly, it's been a while since you've done alternative facts. Are we gonna do some alternative facts for Madstock? I, I think we should. Uh, only I'm, I'm so impressed with myself. I worked really, really hard on it this week. So yeah, I'd love to. <laughs> But don't call me on that. All right, here we go. So, alternate facts about Madstock. Rolling Stone founder Jan Wenner predicted that if he threw a festival with a bunch of muddy hippies, in 20 years' time, Madness would have a much easier time naming their concert. Prince Buster insisted there be an earthquake or he wouldn't perform with Madness. It's kind of his thing. Wool suits get a little sweaty in August. Who knew? Lee had asked to use a jetpack for his baggy trousers gag, but they didn't exist in 1992. Apparently, Betters was promised a sweet koofy if he rejoined the band. K-U-F-I, Google it. Chaz had intended to invite Michael Kane, but he couldn't remember his name. What really caused the earthquake? Loud music? No. Fans jumping around? Also no. The earthquake was caused by the back and forth flapping of Woody's enormous ponytail. And that's all I got. What are your final thoughts on, on Madstock then? I don't think there's anything new that we haven't already talked about in the podcast, but yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a great time. I missed it. Uh, both, both missed the physical concert, but like you said, being over here, um, I was unaware that it was a thing. It would be many years later uh, before I realized that Madness was still a band. Like you were saying, it's before the full fledged internet we know. Uh, these things didn't get communicated to us over here. And uh, yeah. All right. So uh, talking about, I guess, our, our future episodes. So the next one that we're going to be doing in two weeks time, 
Uh, we're going to be doing an episode dedicated to Mr. B, Mike Barson. He has a birthday coming up in April. And to coincide with that, we're going to do one of our little biographical episodes that we do. And Polly, you and I can start thinking about our top five songs co-written by Mike Barson. We can do that. Yes. Oh, and this is going to be tricky because mm -hmm. he, he, he and I think Tomo are the two most prolific songwriters. And we both had a challenge limiting ourselves to five songs for Tomo. I think it's going to be even more challenging for Mike. I think so. Yeah, he's definitely put out the bulk of their work. Yeah, see, I mean, he's really been the the mastermind, the the controller for most of the life of the band. And I say that in, in a good way, not, not in a negative way. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. And then looking forward, um, we're also hoping to do in the coming weeks, an episode about Ian Dury. So Ian Dury is not specifically a member of the band. He did do one song with the band, Drip Fed Fred. But he was so influential on the band and how they evolved and their sound. And it's really a shame because he is almost completely unknown to American fans. So we're going to talk a little bit about Mr. Dury and his influence. And hopefully, as we've been doing with Madness, hopefully expose a new generation of fans to Ian Dury. And it'll be a little bit controversial. Some of the, some of the stuff that he did was a little controversial. Well, we like controversy. Yeah, sure, sure we do. So we hadn't really thought about or hadn't talked about what we're going to close the podcast with Polly, but I'm thinking maybe the harder they come, maybe we should close. Oh, with absolutely. That okay, yeah. cool. So hope to see everybody back here in two weeks for, uh, for the Mike Barson episode. And thanks for joining us. Happy Easter to those of you who celebrate it. Absolutely. And thank you for joining us as well. Bye from Maury. And bye from Polly. Go get a beer, Stateside Madness.